Welcome to The Power of Rhythm, a podcast with your host, Reinhard Flatischler, founder of Mega Drums, Takatina Symphonic, and a worldwide network of groundbreaking rhythm training. This podcast will offer you an incredible diversity of voices around the one thing that connects us all. Rhythm. Hi and welcome to episode 31 of my podcast. Today it's time to welcome a truly legendary drummer. He's a four-time Grammy Award winner and he's considered to be the founding father of the modern frame drum movement. He was a member of Steve Reich and Musicians and the Paul Winter Consort amongst many other groups and he brought drumming and general and frame drumming specifically to a completely new dimension never heard before. His virtuoso playing with hand movements, finger techniques, along with his composition style, which incorporates stepping, drum language and overtone singing, has opened new possibilities for musicians around the globe, resulting in a shift in modern percussion. He played in two tours of my Megadrums group, where he joined the lineup with Saki Hussein, Ayrton Marrero, Kodo, drummer Leonard Ito, and many others. Welcome, Glenn Willis. Thank you. Glad it's, to be here. Yeah, it's so good to see you after a long time. Yes. In the meantime, I turned a little bit towards the symphonic music, but I'm certainly contemplating of kind of reviving the Megadrums idea. Oh, my God, that'd be great. Fantastic. And I would love to start our journey today with a dialogue between Sake Hussein and you, you playing the rick and him playing the tabla, just, you know, to get us started, yes. okay? Okay. Thank you. 
well, if this is not groove, I don't know what is. <laughs> that was a great time. Now, are you currently in New York? Uh, well, I'm living in New Jersey now, yeah. so just outside of New York, about, oh, about 40 miles outside of New York. How is it there right now in all this crazy time at the moment? Well, it's, you know, I think it's the same as most places around the world where you're just, you know, the whole life has changed, no traveling, yeah. especially for musicians, of course, so very little, tra no traveling for me. I haven't been on an airplane in a year, huh. and uh, so a lot more teaching, a lot more uh, yeah. Zooming like this uh, with group classes and uh, classes of various kinds. And uh, we moved to this new place because it's a little bit more isolated. We have uh, various horse farms in this mm. area. Nice. So it's very nice, very nice vibe. So uh, let's go back to where you started. Actually, you started with a drum set, right? At the Manhattan Music School? Yes. Well, uh, when I was a kid, I have an uncle who's a drummer. And so he was my first influence and my first teacher. He's the he was the brother of my father, and um, he was the first one to show me how to play. And I was about uh, seven or eight, and then I just kept on going to lessons in Texas, where I'm from, mm -hmm. and then I went to New York. and And when I was going to Manhattan School of Music, I studied more classical percussion, so you know the timpani and the vibraphone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. xylophone, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. and uh, But about a few years after I got out of school, I discovered the, the frame drum. So that uh, caused this quite uh, dramatic shift in my attention and my focus and my energy, and that's the way it's been ever since. Um, do you remember what was the moment where you discovered the frame drum? How did you discover it? Yes, well... Uh, you know, when I was playing with Steve Reich, and I was I was playing mostly marimba with him, and uh, there were two other players in that group who were very uh, were very involved back in the seventies in in the study of Indian music. Mm -hmm. So uh, Bob Becker and Russ Hartenberger. Bob studied the North Indian tabla, and Russ was studying South Indian mridangam, and. Uh, <clears throat> so Russ's teacher was in New York uh, one time, and, and I said, well, I'll take a lesson. And I wanted to uh, study the Murdangam, and I started out that way. One lesson, after a few months, he saw a tambourine on my wall, an orchestral tambourine. And he said, we play that in South India. I said, oh, really? I had no idea what you, what you would do with it. So he picked it up and started to do the Kanjira style. Yeah. South Indian tambourine playing, of course, that's it's an amazing style. So I saw that, and I really immediately liked it. I said, "Let's study that." I really like that sound, you know, that the size of the instrument, everything about it. So that's the way it started, and uh, that was in 1977. Wow, quite some yeah, time ago. Yeah, 1977. Yeah, and um, so we started to study that, and then I said, uh, "Well, I know that they they're into the tambourine in the Middle East." So I, being in New York, there was, you know, a lot of concerts of all kinds. So I started to go to Middle Eastern concerts. And I saw a guy playing the brick, very nice style, beautiful style. And I just went up to him and said, can I study that with you? And that's how the whole thing started. I started to study the different styles, the Middle Eastern, the South Indian. Then there was the Italian and there was the Central Asian uh, went from there. So I just was finding out more and more about all these different ways of holding these drums and the techniques involved. And um, as an offshoot of that, for some reason, I got very interested in the history very early on. I, I thought, I know that they uh, they played... I, I always remembered seeing pictures of uh, tambourine players in Renaissance paintings. Mm-hmm. So I started to look at those, go to the library and look at those. And so that interest also has continued all this time. So I have these thousands of depictions of frame drums from cultures all over the world and from all different time periods. 
So that's been an ongoing interest of mine. And I think that for me, that really ties into my feeling inspired by seeing these ancient front drummers mm -hmm. and seeing how they're holding the drum. And it, it looks exactly like what I'm doing. So it feels a real connection, you know. Yeah, you definitely have become an archetype because you have really created something new out of it. And in, in the first um, collaborations, you also played with uh, Yusuf Sharonik and uh, with Shane Shanahan, right? Yes, yes. And uh, what? Uh, how did you meet them, actually? Well, they're students. In other words, what I started ah. to do was there was nobody doing frame drum, you know, back in when I started. So I started to teach people to play frame drum, and, and every once in a while there'd be a really good student that would come along that could really, pull, you know, pick it up fast. And so I started to create pieces for for more than one person. Because okay. initially I was just doing solos and stuff yeah. and playing with other musicians, uh, but just, you know, drum and trumpet or drum and other instruments. So I... You know, very early on, I think that also the frame drum lends itself to group playing, you know, more mm -hmm. than one player. It really has a good quality about that. So I started to compose pieces that had more than one player playing. And when uh, Yusuf started probably around in the early 90s and Shane started in the late 90s. So mm -hmm. I've been playing with these guys for over 20 years mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, taught him my style and of course the other thing about frame drumming is that once people get uh, involved with it they really start to create their own version of it you know it, it happens very readily mm -hmm. so you know they also teach and they Shane uh, plays with the uh, Silk Road ensemble yeah. with Yo-Yo uh, mm -hmm. Ma and so he's he's very active or he has been very active over the years doing frame drumming in a lot of different situations. And Yusuf also plays with a lot of different groups. Now, there's a composition called Koba that you brought out, and there uh, are several tars on it. Then there's a tupan, which is like this big bass drum, and the rig. Now, I have a question about the tars. A tar and a bodran looks kind of similar. One is from Ireland, one is from the Middle East. What's the difference and... Yeah, well, you have this. This is a typical tar drum, one type of tar drum. And basically the way this is played is like this. So you have one hand underneath, yeah. another up here. And then... Now these are found all over the Middle East, a lot of different versions, and even into India, and uh, using an Arabic style of playing. Now, the bell run is an Irish drum, and mostly it's played with a stick. Mostly traditional Irish playing. But the reason but you, I use you the don't term, play it with a stick, right? No, I can, but that's not really what I'm a specialist in. Basically, I saw back in my early days with research, I uh, had been studying for a couple of years, and I saw a Nubian frame drummer. Mm -hmm. uh, that was in a book, just a picture of from the 70s. And uh, he was playing the drum like this. Uh -huh. And I had never seen that before. So I said, hey, I'll try that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then I start, and basically I just said, well, I can use all these techniques from Arabic and South Indian, etc., but I can do it in this style. And because the Bauron is a larger frame drum, that was the one I started doing that style. But you can do it on any frame drum mm -hmm. but basically uh, the bell run is the Irish word for a large frame drum right so that uh, basically that combination of so many styles made also this unique way of you playing and then you're bringing of course in the overtone singing and mm -hmm. so maybe you should uh, listen to this first uh, sound uh, a song of uh, koba is it the right way i say it koba yes koba uh, mm -hmm. okay koba so let's listen to it
So Coba, composed by Glenn Villas and the other musicians, Yusuf Sharonik and Shane Shanahan. The voice was with you from the very beginning, right? In your compositions. Yeah, and really I picked that up, first of all, from the Arabic a little bit. They certainly used the doom and the talk and they sang the rhythms. Etc. in a, a, a specific way to represent the sounds of the drum. But then when I started to study the South Indian, it was even more extensive. Of course, the, the drum language that's used in South India is just uh, uh, very inspirational because it is so extensive. It's like, you know, just they're covering anything they can figure out and rhythmically play sing it, you know, have a vocalization that allows for the singing of it. And of course they have that in North India too. But the thing that uh, differs in the South Indian style is that it's an ensemble-oriented uh, style. So, you know, there's usually two or three drummers playing together. So uh, that's one of the reasons I think that the, the, uh, the unisons are so beautiful, the South Indian uh, drummers, because mm. they're you know, going inside their head with the, the same vocalization. So they have a drum language that's very specific. So that really has been a big influence once I uh, realized that I could use that in the compositions and also in the teaching style that I've developed. Then then uh, that has sustained me all, all the years. You know, I keep discovering new aspects of that. But here you really use it as kind of a creative element, just playing a pulse with ta, ta, ta. It's very beautiful. And, yeah. you know, this uh, Indian drum language, of course, brings us already to your beautiful wife, Lori. Mm -hmm. uh, did she study this before she met you or? No, she had, uh, you know, she was, her background was as a jazz singer. I know. And uh, yeah. she went to Berkeley and studied jazz singing. And, but she was always uh, very interested in rhythm, you know, as a jazz singer, you are. And um, when I first met her, I was giving a class at one of the universities in New York, and she was in, uh, in the music therapy department yeah. in this uh, new school. And uh, so I was given my doing my thing with group drumming and the vocalizations for the music therapists. And um, the the uh, woman who directed that program said, "Well, you should you should meet Laurie because she's a, a vocalist and she's very interested in rhythm and what you're doing seems like good uh, good connect." So we started to connect. And she gave me a, a, a cassette of one of her recordings, and I immediately heard how she was so attuned to rhythm and so. Uh, energized by the rhythmic aspect of her jazz singing. So I said, oh, I bet you could get into this style of things that I'm doing, which is very rhythmic, and uh, also this, this drum language. And she had obviously, she had heard tabla, you know, and heard the, uh, the tabla drum language, but she hadn't been exposed to the South Indian style. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, we just started to do it, you know, started to do it together. And uh, I showed her more and more about it. And then I started to incorporate that more and more into the compositions because she became very fluent at it. Then she started to study with uh, Subhash, Subhash mm -hmm. Chandran. Who's, uh, he passed away uh, within the last year, I think. But he was a great exponent of the Konakal, the South Indian style. And so she studied with him for a while. And he really gave her a lot of new material, a lot of things to work on and... And uh, so when we do compositions, that's a key element because she is so fluent in it. It's really nice to incorporate that in the, into the composition style. I have never heard someone so eloquent in this. It blows my complete mind. You know, I listened to quite a lot of your recordings in various uh, videos yesterday in the preparation of this. It's unbelievable. How can she get that fast and that precise? It's yeah, she's really good. And one of the things that we realized uh, is that the South Indian drum, the Murdungam, for instance, mm -hmm. is kind of a low-end drum. 
Yeah. You know, it's kind of lower in pitch. Mm. So it contrasts somewhat with the tabla in that sense. And the tabla has these high ringing overtones. And the, mm. the, uh, both the kenjira and the bernagam have low, low, a lot of low end. Mm-hmm. So when the South Indian singers uh, interpret their conical, they're kind of imitating the sound of the bernagam and the kenjira. So it's a more, a little bit more guttural. Whereas with Laurie, we've been doing a lot of Rick. Okay. And the sound of Rick is so high and so articulate. You heard it in the, the yeah. uh, duet with Zakir. And uh, so she imitates that sound. And that sound is yeah. so much more tight, you know, and articulation-oriented. So that's really where she got the the uh, the unique way that she articulates uh, the conical. I think in the next track, which is called Pythia, do I pronounce this right? Pythia? Pythia. Pythia, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you say what the name means? Or, or? Uh, Pythia is a, uh, it's a, it's a Greek word. And it's one of the uh, ways that the uh, the oracles uh, wow. translate uh, their material into language. So he, she's already in there, right? So let's listen to that, okay? With Glenn Villas, Larry Cotler, we have a tar, botran, clappers, and really very mesmerizing triangles. They are kind of like <laughs> a completely different uh, layer in this whole thing. And that mm-hmm. reminds me on one of our first rehearsals where 
we had this uh, multi-layered rhythm and you put a rattle into your sandals, you know, <laughs> you play mm -hmm. uh, all these polyrhythms. That's so amazing. Yeah. When, yeah. when did you actually meet Laurie? It was, what year was that? That was uh, 2002. Mm. So it was, it was uh, right after the 2001 events. Yeah. Or 2011, I'm sorry. I see, when did that happen? 9-11 was 2001, yeah. One, yeah. So, yeah, 2001. So uh, we met right after that. And uh, um, we just started collaborating within about six months. Wow. And what is your most recent project together? Well, we uh, put out a duo CD, and that was about uh, two years ago. That was the last CD. That was in uh, 2019. And that is just duos. And it's uh, material that we've been playing for a number of years in a duo format. Some of the pieces were actually composed for a larger ensemble, but we will do them in a duo context, kind of rearrange them. And um, I think one of the pieces that I sent you was the Miriam's yes, Prophecy, the which really has a lot of her codicol in it. And uh, yeah, before we go to that, there is something called the Hittiprana. What does that mean? Okay, the Hitt Hittites. The Hittites were an ancient people in ancient Anatolia. Ah. And it's actually a, uh, there's a famous Bible story of Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard of Bathsheba, but she was a, a woman who was married to a man who was, uh, uh, she was desired by King David, the famous King David from yeah. the Bible. And uh, he wanted her, but he knew that she was married to this uh, lieutenant in his army. So he said, well, I'll send him to war and probably he'll be killed. And then I can have Bathsheba. And that's what happened <laughs> he sent him to war, and and uh, apparently that was not in uh, looked upon well by the higher powers. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but anyway, that's the story. And uh, this uh, man who was killed was a Hittite. So there's a lot of ancient uh, knowledge and wisdom, and where you have the sources of your frame drums, as you have already said, right? Yeah, I get a lot of, not only inspiration of just looking at a picture of someone from Greek times mm -hmm. playing a frame drum on a vase or Egypt, all these ancient cultures had the frame drums. Not only that, but also the idea that uh, uh, the ancient stories, ancient literature that have frame drum in them. Miriam from the Bible also played the frame drum. So there's also stories from the ancient world about frame drums. So those are also inspiring, and I use a lot of those in my uh, way of thinking about compositions and titles for pieces. And most of your compositions are multi-layered in one or the other way, kind of sometimes polyrhythmic, sometimes differently. Was this from the very beginning? Well, you started with trap drum. This, at this time, probably was not yet there. But when did it come in that you went into this multi-layered composition? Well, as soon as, uh, as I said, when, when I started, I was just playing solos. But as soon as I started to teach, I started to hear what the sound of two frame drums was like. Uh, and then when there's more students, I'd have groups, and then we, you know, it just became apparent. When you get a lot of frame drums together, there's a lot of melodies that start to emerge from the interactions between the drums. And then I just translate that onto other instruments, you know, triangle or whatever instruments I, you know, whatever colors I want to involve. So, Hiti Prana. <laughs> Don't 
Prana on the drums, Podranta and Rikis Glendales, and the voice, Laurie Cutler. It's amazing. This is a kind of, you see the jazz influence, mm-hmm. then you hear all this incredible rhythmic voice in it, but it also has a, a connotation of Middle Eastern singing. It's something very new. I've never heard this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has you ever get in contact like with Middle Eastern singing or? Uh, just, you know, when we've traveled around over the last 20 years mm. and done festivals and stuff, she'll be exposed to, you know, all kinds of singing. So she definitely, because she's Jewish, she has this, uh, also the tradition of Nigun, which mm. is a Middle Eastern style of uh, chant from the Jewish tradition. So she has that element of Arabic, Middle Eastern uh, background also. It's such a creative brew, you know, and still, like, for example, some people say, okay, the tradition of a drum has to be, you know, given to the next generation and so on. But what you really did, you revived, in my opinion, the many frame drums and brought it to a completely new level where now... It's, uh, for many people, something that's so common. You really brought, uh, even in Europe mm-hmm. here, you know, uh, frame drum to the common knowledge. People say, ah, yeah, Ken West is a frame drum, you know. Like yeah. 10 years, 20 years ago, this was not the case at all. No, when I started, it was really an exotic instrument. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. what do you do with that, you know? <laughs> And the, the other thing that also is... Uh, has given me a lot of joy, a lot of wonderful feedback. Is this the quality of the tambourine that is stigmatized in Western culture? Is that you say tambourine and most people say, oh, you go like this, you shake the thing, you know. And then when they see what's possible on the tambourine, the Kenjira, the South Italian, all the different styles, It's just, it's mind-blowing for people because they see that this very simple instrument is capable of big expression. So, I mean, that's that's always a big uh, eye-opener and a lot of fun as the person giving, you know, to see how much much surprise there is when they see what's possible. Yeah, you've been teaching, like, uh, thousands of uh, students over the world. Are there some um, names that I would recognize that you have been teaching or initiating into drumming, as frame drumming? Uh, well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, um, there's. Uh, let me see, uh, Andrea Piccioni, he's a well-known uh, Italian frame drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zohar Fresco is a fantastic uh, Israeli frame drummer and he came to New York at an early stage of his his uh, involvement with frame drums and you know checked out what I was doing and we took lessons took some lessons and stuff but each of these guys have really developed their own whole pathway because as I said when you get into it you can really you just carve a new road you know each player really mm-hmm. And that's the, the the beauty and the power of this drum is that, um, you know, you can see that 
there's this basic vocabulary of dooms, talks, and pause, and whatever. But then there's an endless way of negotiating how you play that. So, yeah, there's there's so many players now that are creating and you know doing their own thing with it and figuring out ways to incorporate it into lots of different styles of music. Also, uh, you have been uh, kind of associated also with Remo. Mm-hmm. When I first, when I was, um, let's see, in 1983, I'd been playing the frame drums by that point about five or six years and already had developed a, a style with where I combined a lot of stuff. And there was a big percussion convention called PAS every year in the United States, Percussive Art Society convention, where there's thousands of drummers come together and teachers and manufacturers all come together in a big convention. And uh, Remo came to my workshop that I did in uh, in Dallas, where it was held that year in 1983. And uh, Remo Belly. Yeah, Remo Belly, right? Yeah, and he came and he saw what I was doing and he, he said, you know, we could make that kind of drum very easily. <laughs> you know, they were making, you know, drum heads. And so he just saw, hey, we just put a drum head on a frame and we got a frame drum. <laughs> so he said, we could make that drum using synthetics, you know, because at that time I didn't have any synthetic headed drums. Yeah. Everything was skin drums and I had heating pads and heat lamps and all kinds mm -hmm. of craziness to keep the drums in a playable condition. So he saw that and said, we could make different versions. And so I said, wow, that's great. Let's do it. And so I went out to California in his factory, and we started to, uh, you know, develop the ideas about different kinds of. And I still have a lot of the prototypes that we made back in nineteen in the mid eighties mm -hmm. of the very first versions of the frame drums. And uh, he was, you know, a big proponent of uh, music as a healing modality, uh, music that. Uh, drumming as a healing modality and drumming as a way to uh, for communities yeah. to come together, you know. So he was really into that. And uh, so he saw the frame drum as really fit into that category of drum that could be available to more people and, uh, you know, not such a scary instrument like a drum set or a, <laughs> a timpani or whatever, you know, something you could hold. Yeah, he was a good friend of mine too and I visited him many times in his, you know, factory there. He was mm -hmm. a very, very remarkable man who, who did a lot for the community and for drum building in general. Yes. So with the next track called Miriam's Prophecy, uh, we hear Laurie even more in the foreground. Okay, let's listen okay. and talk. Digu tarikita taka tarikita taka doom ta doom a dit tong git taka tarikita taka doom ta digu tarikita taka tarikita taka doom ta dit tong git taka tarikita taka taka tarikita taka tarikita taka ta ta dikita kita ta dikita kita tarikita taka tarikita taka dit tong git taka tarikita taka doom ta doom digu tarikita taka tarikita taka doom ta doom ta dit tong git taka tarikita taka doom ta digu tarikita taka tarikita taka doom ta dit
Miriam's Prophecy, composed by Glenn Velas. Glenn here on this high, sharp uh, sound of the Rick and Laurie with the voice, with the wonderful rhythmic voice. How did you come up with the blueprint of this Miriam's Prophecy? Like how does that when you... Um, these off, the pieces often start with uh, the rhythmic contour. So mm-hmm. this was a ten. There's a ten beat rhythm in uh, Arabic music called Samai, uh, three three two two three rhythm, and uh, this is the beginning. is kind of a takeoff on that rhythm, mm-hmm. but with a little bit of twist to it. And then I just, one of the things that also happens with frame drum, because it's such a melodic drum and it has so many overtones when you're playing it, that often you play a rhythm over and over again and you start to hear a melody. And that's yes. where the melodies come from. And uh, originally this was created for a, a instrumentalist. So there was various flute players that had played this, this piece, uh, various other instruments. So the the thing about Laurie's skill is that she's able to sing instrumental music very well. Mm. So because she's very she's got a very uh, clear vocabulary of so of uh, scat, you know, and so she can kind of negotiate her way through uh, material that is not really written for voice. It's written for instruments, yeah. but she can she can articulate it nicely. So um, that's where the, the structure came from. And then the different sections 
are sub, a couple of the sections are about different ways of uh, subdividing five because mm -hmm. the ten is the the initial one and then five comes right. in and then there's one section in three so a lot of times it's it comes from one contour and then I'm taking it apart and looking for ways to play with it <laughs> yeah this uh, additive rhythms and overlays that are both our favorite things <laughs> to play around with. And, you know, yeah. the, the bridge that Laurie can uh, kind of span from just pure jazz singing to this very, very uh, amazing conical. I saw yesterday a video of her, which is just mm -hmm. doing conical. It's mm -hmm. like, how can you do this with your tongue so long, you know, without getting yes. exhausted? Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, she's great. So did you ever have a contact together with uh, our friends of Megadrums like uh, Leonard A2 or IU2? Or? Well, I saw uh, Leonard in, at a festival in Hawaii ah. a number of years ago. It must have been 15 years. It was yeah. a while ago. And uh, Zakir, I've seen a couple of different times mm. in different in different situations. Um, uh, Ayerto, I saw once since then. Mm -hmm. So a couple of times I've come in contact with those guys, yeah. So I'm curious, maybe I can kind of inspire you to join another Megatrums if I can revive it once everything opens up again. Of mm. course, yes. I mean, it was great, great fun. And, and obviously... When you bring together such fantastic talents mm. as those guys, you know, and, and the people that you're, uh, that you invite, it's a big learning experience, you know, and you really pick up a lot of wonderful ideas and uh, attitudes that are a lot of fun. Too. Yeah, now let's, let's dive into one more memory of that time, if you may. Yes, of course.
That was Mega Drums with Glenn Villas, Hussein, Melting Cadona, Ayut Morera, Valerie Naranjo, Wolfgang Puschnik, and I also was in this band, you know, so it was <laughs> great times. Have you heard about Valerie Naranjo? She's in New York, I guess. Oh, yeah. I've seen Valerie many times because she's in New York, and I see, I've seen her at uh, percussion conventions over the years. So, yeah, I've been in touch with her. So if you see her again, please uh, convey my love I'll to her. I'll give her your regards, for sure, yeah. So, Glenn, I thank you so much for your time. I'm so happy to see you You're again. Welcome. You're welcome, Reinhardt. Pleasure to see you, man. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, and so uh, when the time changes and you come over to Germany again, teaching hopefully, mm -hmm. yes. um, for our listeners, where can they find you uh, exactly on the internet? Yeah, I mean, I have a website, glenvelez.com, and uh, then I'm often connected with Tambury Mundi in Germany, yes. so uh, Murat Kauskin, so that whole... Uh, arena. I've done a lot of teaching there over the years. Thank you for sharing the abundance that you are. And thank you. thank you listeners for going with us all the way. If you like the podcast, visit at powerofrhythm.com forward slash podcast. Leave a comment if you like. Many more very interesting guests coming up. Have a great day and keep on grooving.